0: Welcome to Mind Love, episode 31. Today's episode is all about how to sleep like a boss.
1: Emotional or anxiety, depression, and so forth is very often connected to sleep deprivation. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love.
0: Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hello friends! First off, Mind Love is now a Castbox original. Castbox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can get all of your favorite podcasts. It has a super clean layout and you can create playlists and download episodes to play offline. It's my personal favorite and where I listen to all of my podcasts. Don't worry, you can still listen to Mind Love wherever you get your podcasts, but I hope you'll give Castbox a try. Second, don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and leave a review if you can. Reviews really help to entice more amazing guests, plus, it helps me grow the show, which ultimately helps me give more value to you guys. Today, we're talking about sleep. It's a topic that's been requested a few times, and apparently, it's a huge problem. 50 to 70 million adults have a sleep disorder, over a third of the population gets less than seven hours of sleep per night, and insomnia affects 30% of adults. As we'll learn in this episode, sleep deprivation can affect every area of your life, including mood, brain function, obesity, your immune system, reproductive health, the list goes on. Our guest today is Christine Hansen. She's an international sleep expert, speaker, certified sleep coach, nutritional therapist, and best-selling author. She's been featured in some pretty impressive places, including The Guardian, Reader's Digest, Huffington Post, and Entrepreneur on Fire. It's hard to even pick three key things that we'll learn because in this episode, we're covering everything I could think of regarding sleep. We will learn how much sleep you really need, why your sleep might be suffering even if you're getting the recommended hours, how your dreams help process emotions, and all the sleep hacks imaginable, including sleep tools, power naps, avoiding jet lag, the works. Before we dive in, I want to invite you to sign up for the Morning Mind Love. You'll get short daily reminders of your own beauty, worth, and power so you can start each day with a positive mindset and keep your vibes up between episodes. To sign up, visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get our exclusive Powerless booklet, which is an awesome free booklet based on proven principles from the most successful people and some of our favorite guests. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation set at the Miracle Tone, which is known to help attract love, health, and abundance into your life. The layered affirmations perfectly tune your frequency for personal transformation. So be sure to head to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. Mindful eating is an essential part of self-care. Every part of our life is enhanced when we eat nourishing, healthy meals. But let's face it, eating right can be hard to maintain. Sunbasket makes it easy and convenient to give your body healthy, delicious meals at home. They have options for every lifestyle, including vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, gluten free, and paleo, all delivered to your door. Just go to the Sunbasket app and pick from 18 weekly recipes. Easily cook dishes like Buddha bowls with braised tofu, soba noodles, and cashew lime dressing. Sunbasket works with the best farms and suppliers to bring you fresh, organic produce and clean ingredients right to your door, so you can feel good about where your food came from. It's perfect for busy lifestyles because everything is pre-measured and easy to prep for healthy, delicious meals in about 30 minutes. Go to sunbasket.com/mind today to get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash mind for $35 off sunbasket.com slash M I N D. And now let's welcome Christine Hansen to the show. Hi, thanks so nice for having me.
1: So what's your story? How did you become so interested in sleep? I don't think I was always aware of sleep, but I always known that if I didn't get enough, it would ruin and upset my complete day. So that's something that I've always known, but it was never really on my radar until I got pregnant with my daughter. And suddenly I was very aware of all the sleep deprived parents around me. And, you know, becoming a first time mom, I was suddenly really starting to freak out. And I think it was especially when I saw my sister who had three children and never had an issue. But then her third one came along and she really suffered from sleep deprivation. Like I literally could just see her fall apart. And I was just like, okay, if I don't even get one hour enough of sleep, I already have a ruined day. What am I going to do? With this newborn, you know, who's going to keep me up for for pretty much ever. And so I really dug into sleep and really also dug into pediatric sleep first. So I really looked at baby sleep. And when my daughter came along, I really implemented all I've learned. And then I continued to be interesting, interested in the subject. But it was only a year later that I really decided to leave the career that I had and actually create my own business and do that with sleep because I just saw so many people around me who needed it. And from there, it was really a journey of becoming me as an entrepreneur, but also a journey of really discovering sleep because. I learned very quickly that sleep is incredibly complex. I switched from baby sleep to just working with adults very quickly after a year. And especially when working with adults, you have so much more different connections. And the more I learned, the more I realized how much is affecting sleep. So now it's pretty easy for me to see the connections. And when I talk to someone, I can see the string that is connected to something else and exact details what I want to look at. But that's how I get into it, basically.
0: So why is sleep so important? What kinds
1: of things does it affect? It affects everything. Literally, there's nothing in your body, in your mind, that's not affected by sleep. So it affects the way that you feel, it affects the way that you think, it affects the way that your body is regenerating itself, it affects your digestion, it affects your concentration, it affects everything. Literally, it's like one of the main important pillars of health. It's usually we say it's nutrition and exercise and sleep basically that we need to focus on. And, you know, nature has been very smart and it has conceived us that we have to sleep. It's like forcing us to sleep just as it's forcing us to eat. The pressure to sleep is just as natural All mammals sleep, and it goes through extreme lengths in order to make sure that that happens. And that's for a very good reason. So we are actually the only creatures on the planet that are consciously sleep-depriving themselves, which is quite incredible.
0: Okay, for years, I used to pride myself in not needing as much sleep as other people. Looking back, I'm going to give a little credit to the shit tons of Adderall I was prescribed – but I have heard some high achievers say that they only need four hours of sleep in a night or something like that. Is there a minimum amount of hours that all people need or does it vary person to person?
1: There isn't a standard at all, but the range should be between six hours up to nine and a half, ten 10 hours max. So that's what most people need of sleep. If you need less than six hours of sleep, you actually have a genetic defect. So it's very few people, like under 5%, who need less than six hours of sleep, even if they think they don't need them. So they might function, but they are constantly a little bit sleep deprived. And the surprising thing is that we get used to it. You just get used to being constantly sleep deprived and you don't even remember what it is like to be actually rested. But it's not like eight hours. We often say eight hours because that's like a range. I think the most popular average is seven and a half hours. And it's basically calculated on how many sleep cycles you need. A sleep cycle is 95 minutes and you get around four or five every night. So that's why we have those ranges of how much sleep a person should get. But My range is just if you go to sleep and you fall asleep nice and peacefully within 20 to 30 minutes and you wake up the next day, ideally naturally, and you feel well rested, then that's the amount of sleep that you need.
0: You said people that can function on just a few hours of sleep per night have a genetic defect. I've never heard that. So if you are one of those people, is there anything you can do to fix that defect? Or do you just live your life with really long days?
1: No, I don't think that you can fix it. I think it's just something that is in your DNA. In that point, I read it in Arianna Huffington's Sleep Revolution. So you can check that book out. It's a really good book on sleep. But I would ask myself if it's actually true that you only need six hours of sleep. That's the first question I would ask myself. Okay, so I had to look this up.
0: Apparently, sleep has been really difficult for scientists to study. One article actually called it a biological nightmare. But thanks to a mother-daughter duo who share a rare genetic mutation, we've gotten somewhere. This genetic mutation is on the gene DEC2 that allows people to actually need less sleep. These people are now referred to as short sleepers. This affects less than 1% of the population. The rest of us need between 7 to 8 hours. What they found out is that in order to sleep less, people need to sleep better. So think more intense REM states. So basically, short sleepers have more efficient sleep. But this development is pretty cool. It might play a role in developing treatments for people with sleep disorders, or even just help regular people get less sleep. We're just not quite there yet. What are the biggest mistakes or misconceptions
1: that people have when it comes to their own sleep? Uh, It's a tricky one. I think there's two categories of people that I see. And you have one category that is sacrificing sleep in terms of that they could sleep, but they choose to sleep less than they could. And then you have the category of people who would like to sleep and who do everything in order to do so, but who can't sleep. So it's two very different types of people. Let's talk about category number one, you know, who just don't have enough hours in the day. And then the first thing to go on the sacrificing list is sleep. For those people, I would really make sure that they understand that they are not increasing their productivity just by sacrificing sleep, just by cramming more things into the day. Because actually, they're going to think slower. They're going to move slower. They're going to make more mistakes and have to rectify those mistakes. And so it's really not productive. For those people who want to sleep but who can't sleep, I think they focus too much on just sleep hygiene, which means, you know, bedtime routines or rituals or bedroom environment. Because sleep goes much further than that. Sleep is connected to your gut health. It's connected to your hormones, to your thyroid. It's connected to your nutrition. And it's not their fault because 99% of the books out there are only focusing on sleep foundations and sleep hygiene. So for those people, I would really ask them to dig deeper and to find someone who can help them with that.
0: How does emotional stress affect your ability to sleep?
1: Cortisol is basically our stress hormone. So if we look at emotional stress, it's basically our brain is reacting to a situation and when we are stressed we are ejecting a hormone that is called cortisol which is a catabolic hormone so it's good in a way that it's there to help us uh, if we are in an emergency situation so it pumps our heart, it brings us adrenaline it makes us breathe better, it makes us see better, smell better, hear better stronger and so forth but all of these things are not favorable to sleep so it's really not a calming hormone so that That is why if you have a lot of emotional stress and your body is buzzing that is why in that case it disturbs sleep but also long term if you have long-term stress emotional stress cortisol is as I said it's catabolic which means it's destroying things it's not meant to be there for a long time it's just be meant to be there you know for an emergency and then to go down to its normal levels again so if it's there for too long it's going to affect a lot of different things and it's going to basically destroy a lot of things so it can be very harmful for your gut barrier for your intestinal wall can create a lot of havoc in your hormonal system and so that's how in two ways stress affects our body but on the other hand if your body is also damaged it also makes it more difficult for the brain to deal with stress so it's this feedback loop and so that's why you really always have to look at the body and the mind at the same time.
0: So, I understand cortisol, the stress hormone, affects our ability to sleep. But can it create the reverse effect? Like, say, can sleep deprivation increase cortisol levels and cause emotional stress?
1: Absolutely, yes. And it's been shown in many, many studies that emotional or anxiety, depression, and so forth is very often connected to sleep deprivation. It's just making it a lot harder to deal with these things, to process situations that might be uncomfortable, that are stressful, trauma, um, all kinds of different situations. It's just, we all know it, you know, all of us who just had a little bit, not enough sleep, our patience is, it's just not as good as it is, our mood is ruined. And so it makes it a lot, lot harder to deal with emotional stress. On top of that, we have our dreams that are helping us with a lot of psychological issues. So anything that is upsetting us is usually dealt with in our dreams to some extent. And if we don't sleep enough, our brain can't do that. And so the psychological aspect in our brain is just not granted the time and the process that it is you. And these things add up, and it just gets worse and worse.
0: You mentioned how dreams help resolve unprocessed emotions. Some people remember their dreams really vividly, and some people don't at all. If people don't remember their dreams, are they still getting the benefit of that processing while they're sleeping?
1: Yeah. The difference between those who remember and those who don't is most likely because of the moment when they wake up. So if you wake up very quickly after a REM cycle, REM is basically the rapid eye movement cycle or phase of your sleep cycle, which is when you're dreaming. If you have just a very short phase of light sleep after that and wake up, you are much more likely to remember than if you had a long-term or a longer light sleep phase or even a deep sleep phase before waking up. You have to imagine that between dreaming and waking up, there's a gap. And the further that gap is, the more difficult it is to remember. So some people just always wake up pretty quickly after dreaming and remember them. And for some people, they wake up a little bit after that and they just don't remember. But they are dreaming. Everyone is dreaming.
0: So are there benefits to try to remember your dreams or is that just more
1: of a novelty? No, that's a technique that's been used over hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's especially by not by spiritual people necessarily, but by very, very pragmatic people, because when we are dreaming We don't censor ourselves, you know, our prefrontal cortex is not working. So it means that we basically roam all our emotions, all our thoughts are roaming free. And so a lot of people who have had issues solving a puzzle, for example, have written down their dreams. And I know that there is one Nobel Prize winner of some, I think it was in chemistry who had the idea of the formula come to your dream. I think it was also Thomas Edison with a light bulb that also came in a dream. And so you can use your dream either to become aware of things that might be upsetting you or that you might not be processing or that might be standing in your way. So that's why a lot of therapists say that you should journal your dreams because they basically show you things that are unprocessed because most things that come up in your dreams is just stuff that's stuck to your brain and that hasn't been process that hasn't finished processing and some things are absolutely positive and some things are just something that your brain couldn't quite categorize or that was disturbing and so it's trying to deal with that and when you write these things down you will quickly find patterns you will quickly find that there's topics that you will stumble upon over and over again and once you know that you can actually look at why why is that why am I stuck with that topic and that can really be very helpful
0: Do you have any examples in your own life of maybe a dream that kept coming through or some sort of processing that you were able to do through your dreams?
1: Ever since I've learned about dreams, I've become more aware of them when I wake up. So sometimes I will just lie there and I will think, where did that idea come from? So if I remember the dream, I will just Go like, okay, hang on, Those that was this part and that part, where does it come from? And sometimes I can't tell, but sometimes I am very, very aware where it is coming from. And it's just like, huh, I didn't know. I had no idea that that affected me that much, for example. So I use it a little bit in terms that way in order to get to know myself a little bit better. I've never really used it in terms of to be more productive or to work on a particular topic. Not that much. Going
0: back to insomnia... In doing research for this episode, I was actually surprised how many people suffer from this. But what are some of the leading causes of insomnia?
1: So What I see in my practice most of the time is it's a combination. It's really not just one thing. It's impossible to say it's one thing. It never is. So I have the five-step Sleep Like a Boss process. And it basically has five pillars, which are the sleep foundations, which means that stress management has to be addressed. There's just too much going on in the day. There might not be a great sleep hygiene in place, meaning there's no bedtime routine. The relationship with sleep is already strained because it's been going on for so long. There have been issues. So sleep is just something negative already, making it very difficult to relax and to actually enjoy going to bed. Then we have hormones, a huge one huge, huge, huge one, especially for women, where I see that any hormone, any hormone that's out of balance is very quickly to affect sleep, whether it might be your estrogens, your progesterones, your testosterone, it doesn't matter. So that's a big one that I look into. Thyroid is absolutely huge. And unfortunately, 90% of my clients have thyroid issues. Uh, Most of them have Hashimoto's. And then I always ask my clients to get checked out. Gut health, if you have pathogens or candida or parasites, they are all nocturnal, which means that they all wake up at night and that they create a lot of havoc. And when they do cause inflammation, you basically have cortisol and adrenaline rushing to create an anti-inflammatory reaction. And that is going to wake you up because it's giving you energy. So that's a big one that I look at nutrition blood sugar levels can play a huge role in this a lot of us are used to go from sugar crash to sugar crash so you know wait having sugary breakfast crashing at 10 having a snack crashing at lunchtime having a snack and so forth so those are the five categories that i see over and over again when it comes to sleep issues and to insomnia
0: when you talk about hormones, as a woman, does this refer more to hormones in a life cycle, such as puberty or menopause, or is it more like hormone changes in your monthly cycle, like your period?
1: I mean, I know that a lot of people, or a lot of women especially, can pinpoint exactly when their period is there because they have just such a dump in hormones that, or such a low in hormones that sleep has a lot of issues. Um, so it can be any time in your life. But as of 40, premenopause can start, which a lot of people are like 40. I mean, that's so young, but it's, yeah, that's when the first signs can start and when the first hormone imbalances can start. So as of 40, I usually always look at estrogen and progesterone hormones, menopause for sure, big one. And pregnancy can also be an issue for hormonal deregulation and it's just your body getting deregulated for your baby, but then having trouble to regulate itself back to normal patterns once your baby is born. So it's really important to, to get that looked at and to get that checked out in order to see that everything is, first of all, if you have enough of them and how they are used, because your hormones use different pathways and different pathways have different reactions. Some are favorable. And you're, for example, your progesterone It's not just progesterone. It takes basically two different streets in your body, one of them which is favorable and one which isn't. So when you get testing done, really make sure that that's included because they might say you have enough of it. But if they don't know what your body does with it, it's not an answer. You know, so you kind of have to go digging there a little bit.
0: You mentioned just your relationship with sleep can affect it. I remember hearing tips a long time ago, like you shouldn't have a TV in your bedroom so that you associate your bed with sleep. But what are some other ways to fix your
1: relationship with sleep? Something that I use, and it's it's kind of a weird strategy, but I want people to start to personify sleep. You know, to kind of think of it as a person and ask them, what's your relationship like with sleep? Like, are you respecting it? Do you actually like it? And if you don't, you kind of need to get it back. You kind of need to be nice to it and love it and have a great relationship. So something I sometimes do is to tell my clients to write a letter to sleep and to say, to get their anger off their chest and to say, you know, I'm so frustrated with you, but then also write a love letter to sleep and also telling it how much they love it, you know, how much they love to just sleep and to be rested and to feel warm under the covers and to have that time of day to just, you know, be in peace. And that can be very, very helpful. And it sounds very weird, but it and it is weird writing to sleep but it makes you aware that you're already getting stressed just by thinking of going to bed. And so that's definitely something that I like. I don't like for people to be overly serious in terms of that they're stressing themselves out for sleep, but I also don't want them to be negative to it.
0: This is one of those times that I really need to recognize progress. My letter to sleep five years ago would go something like this. Dear sleep, you're so needy. How am I supposed to get anything done around here when you're taking up a third of my life? Sometimes when I wake up from you, I have no idea how I got there or who invited that other guy. Why don't you do you for a while while I do me? I've got something that'll get rid of you at least until tomorrow. Cheers, bitches. Not so sincerely, party girl. Cut to me slamming a vodka pineapple to wash down whatever pill someone hands me without as much as a simple inspection. But here's to personal growth, because now it would be more like, dear sleep, I cherish our time together. Every time we part ways, I leave feeling refreshed, nourished, and ready to conquer the day. Thank you for sticking with me through all those years of neglect. Let's catch up for a quick 20 minutes around lunchtime, okay? Love you forever. Melissa. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the morning mind love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30 minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, The Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Listen to The Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. As far as sleep hygiene goes, do you recommend an evening
1: routine? And does a morning routine play into that at all? Sleep definitely starts with the morning. You know, like it starts with your breakfast. First starts off having breakfast. That's step one, actually. And then it starts with having nourishing foods and foods that, you know, favor sleep in terms of that they keep your blood sugar even, like glycemic like foods. And then sleep hygiene throughout the day, means giving yourself little windows where you can park your thoughts and release your stress because it's like a diffusing reaction. It's like having a shower head. And if you take the time during the day to kind of take your thoughts out of your head, bothering thoughts or upsetting thoughts and parking it, it's like the rainforest shower head. But if you keep everything bottled up until night, then you will have this massage, super strong beam shower head where everything is just bursting out and crashing down on you. So, for me, daytime sleep hygiene means that you create a couple of windows where you have different stress management strategies, maybe journaling, maybe doing a meditation, maybe just a couple of breathing exercises, maybe just becoming aware of what's been upsetting you and literally taking those thoughts out of your mind and just parking them. And then come nighttime, Sleep routines can be very individual. There's so many different things you can do to create a sleep routine. One thing that I like to suggest my clients is to take an alarm clock and have it set an hour before their ideal bedtime. Just in order to be aware, okay, I have one more hour, which is plenty of time. And then have them do everything that needs to be done for the next day and then have the rest of the time to just relax. And whether that is even for people who want to watch a TV show, that's fine. Not everyone Is reacting to blue light sensitively. Not everyone. Like I don't. uh, I don't have an issue with that. But if you have chronic insomnia, then maybe it's not the best tip in the world. But just saying, it's very individual. But that is something that I find gives people enough time to get everything done. And then they can integrate more step into the sleep routine such as opening the window, having a facial ritual and getting their clothes laid out and organized. There's tons of different things and I have different resources on that. Um, But that's basically in a nutshell what daytime sleep hygiene and nighttime sleep hygiene would look like for me.
0: I just purchased a pair of blue light blocking glasses because I heard that it affects your quality of sleep, even if it doesn't affect whether or not you can sleep. Is that true?
1: So blue light is basically a very, very short frequency of light. It's the shortest frequency that we have. And artificial blue light is even shorter. So what it does is when it hits your eye, it goes through your retina and it can either block melatonin from building or it can interfere with cells absorbing melatonin. That's why it is an issue when it comes to sleep. However, I really feel it depends on different people. I do think it has an effect on everyone, but not in the same way. For those of us that don't have a problem falling asleep,
0: are there things that will affect the quality of our sleep, even if we
1: are getting a full eight hours? Definitely alcohol is one of the main ones. Alcohol is can help you fall asleep because it can help you to relax and it's a little bit of a sedative for some people, but alcohol is manipulating your deep sleep. So even though you will be sleeping the same amount of time, you won't get as much deep sleep, which is when most of the restoration of your body happens. So you will actually not feel the same way as if you didn't have alcohol, And that is one of the main ones that I can pinpoint at. And it's actually also true for some sleeping pills. So they will sedate some parts of your brain, but a lot of people wake up even more groggy. But I would say for someone who's a chronic insomniac and who has anxiety around it, a certain time using sleeping pills for a wise time span just to take the edge off and to get organized, that's fine, but it really shouldn't be a long-term solution. For
0: people that do have trouble sleeping and they feel like they need something more than just routines, are there any natural or healthier forms of sleep aids that you recommend?
1: There are, but I would say if you do need sleeping pills, then the natural stuff is not necessarily going to cut it. I don't think it's enough. I really think that there's more underneath the first layer of sleep hygiene and I would really encourage them to to go digging and get a full picture of what's going on in their body because otherwise, even if I would now say, look, Valerian, or I don't know, um, maybe some fetiva can help. Yes. But I don't want to get any hopes up because chances are that it's not going to be enough for people who have been relying on sleeping pills for sure. It's, it, it's just not going to cut it. But if you get your body in tune, if you get everything into balance, and ideally into homeostasis, then those things are absolutely enough.
0: That makes sense. We do seem to want these quick fixes. But as a lot of my guests have taught us, we should be using these symptoms as the language of the body signaling that something else is wrong.
1: Absolutely. If you just look at the first layer, it's going to be a very frustrating experience for most or for those who come to me basically because they've already tried that and most of them have a great sleep routine already so that's not it
0: you said earlier that it's not necessarily the amount of time that we sleep but the number of sleep cycles that we go through what is the ideal amount of sleep cycles and what does that look like in a night
1: so sleep cycles are between four and five. Most people have five sleep cycles and one sleep cycle is 95 minutes and you have three main sleep phases, which is light sleep, deep sleep and REM sleep. And after a sleep cycle, you briefly wake up and then you will fall back asleep. And when you wake up, you might turn around twist your pillow, might not do anything, you know, and then you fall back asleep. And you can see that actually even better with babies and newborns actually have 45-minute sleep cycles. So you have a a lot of newborns sleep for 45 minutes, they wake up, have a fuss, and then they fall asleep again, and it's because they have issues connecting those sleep cycles. And so for adults, this can become a problem if around 2, 3 a.m. you wake up naturally because the sleep cycle has passed, When your cortisol is risen or if your liver is kicking in because it needs to detoxify, then it's you have issues falling back asleep. And that's where sleep cycles come into play. But between four and five, and then the sleep phases are different. You start the night with the longest deep sleep phase. So every cycle has the three phases, but the length of the three phases is different. So the first sleep cycle has a priority on deep sleep the last sleep cycle for example has a priority on REM sleep so it's very different and that's also where the saying comes from that the best sleep is before midnight it's because this first sleep cycle gives you the most restorative sleep and I think nature has done that in order to make sure that we get what we need to just survive and not become incredibly ill
0: So what about polyphasic sleep, where people sleep multiple times in a day for a few hours at a time? Tim Ferriss has talked about it before. What's up with that?
1: (laughs) Well, one of them, the main football star, like meaning soccer star here in Europe, is, is Cristiano Ronaldo for Portugal. And he has a sleep coach and he is living with that rhythm. So he doesn't have complete sleep cycles. Like he has it in chunks during his 24 hours. Now, I would say if you do have your personal sleep coaches with you 24 hours, maybe it's something that you could try. And if you don't get any sleep otherwise, then that might be the way to go. But I cannot imagine that it's healthy. I I can't. It just goes against everything that sleep science has shown so far. And I think if every mammal on the planet has night when it's dark to sleep, there's a reason for that. (laughs)
0: I agree. Especially with everything we're learning about circadian rhythms and how our bodies are better in sync with the sun and moon cycles, polyphasic sleep kind of seems to go against nature. I've also heard that it's better on our bodies to wake up at the same time every day. And if we have to go to bed late, instead of making up for the missing hours sleeping
1: in, we should just take a nap. If you don't get enough sleep, you build up sleep debt, basically. So I would say ideally you get enough sleep, right? But let's say you know how much sleep you need in order to be really refreshed. Then I would say reverse engineer. So let's say for me it's seven and a half hours. I would reverse engineer my wake-up time that I need minus seven and a half hours. And half an hour before that would be my bedtime when I would like to be in bed, for example, right? Then I would set my alarm clock to be the same. Yes, because it is really going to train your body. It's very simple. It's literally going to train your body to wake up then. But you also need to look when you go to bed. Like if you go to bed too late, I definitely prefer the nap rather than sleeping in. Because keeping the same time waking up is just keeping you in the rhythm. And the nap is definitely going to be restorative. Keep it to 20 to 30 minutes max. And I had a client who had an issue with her circadian rhythm. And with her... She had to get up the same time every day. If we just changed it to 15 minutes, she would have awful issues with getting up and and just getting anything done in the morning. So it is a much overlooked strategy that you have to implement. And I think for a lot of people, it would be very helpful.
0: Getting into the basics of an effective power nap. You said that 20 to 30 minutes is ideal. I've been napping more than I ever have as of lately, and first of all, I love it and second of all, I don't always fall asleep, but I do feel recharged anyways. Am I still getting a sort of meditative or restorative rest if I don't fully fall asleep?
1: Yeah, I definitely think so, like my husband he is just like he he lies next to me and he's like. 20 minutes, I hear him snoring and bam, after 20 minutes, he's up and he's like, okay, here we go. I can't do that. I can't sleep for 20 minutes. If I do that, I'm just going to be off for an hour and a half. So I rest for 20 minutes and it is different, but it is definitely better than a cup of coffee because it's just helping your brain to relax for a moment, to get some of that cerebral fluid going and to just give you that energy back.
0: Speaking of your husband, do men and women sleep differently?
1: There's been some studies that have recently shown that women need a little bit more sleep apparently, but in general, there's not too much difference as far as I know between the way that sleep patterns look like or all of that, those kinds of things. In sleep disorders, yes. I think men are more prone to sleep apnea, I think, but don't quote me on that. No, in general, it's pretty much all across the board.
0: So now coffee. Coffee. I love coffee, but the more I hear people cutting back on coffee, the more I feel I have to too. Plus now I work at a co working space sometimes and I know a lot of other people do too where coffee is free flowing. So what are the downsides of that?
1: So I need my coffee in the morning, like for sure, just because I like the taste as well. And I did cut out form of coffee and I really noticed when I got back on it, how it winds me up. But the problem is that just like hunger, you have sleep pressure building up. You know, just like you get hungry, you get tired during the day. And that's because of a chemical that's called adenosine. And caffeine and adenosine are just one molecule apart. So it's they look very, very similar to your body. The difference is, though, that if you have coffee, it basically stops that sleep pressure from building, but it doesn't give you the refreshment that a power nap would do, for example. So that's the main reason why power naps are preferred to coffee. For example, the other thing is, I don't mind having coffee, but just don't have it too late. It can have an effect up to six to eight hours in your body. So, for someone who is not sleeping, I would be a huge advocate of not having coffee, like maybe one cup after lunch and then cut it out. For me personally, I can have coffee for dessert in the restaurant at nighttime and I will still sleep.
0: <laughs> I am the same way, actually. How does your age affect your sleep?
1: It doesn't much. That's a really good question, but a lot of people think that the older they get, they need less sleep, and it's not true. You actually need the same amount of sleep. What does change, however, is your sleep phases, the way that your sleep cycles are structured. That changes, and something that a lot of people don't consider is the older we get, the less we tend to move, the more we are stagnant, especially with very old people. In homes, for example, they are exposed to a lot of light don't get much movement, don't get too much sunlight, don't get a lot of fresh air. All of these things make it impossible for the body to be actually naturally tired. So it's not true that we need less sleep, but there is an issue into how we sleep.
0: I started wearing a sleep eye mask for a while because living in LA, you still get light pollution and, you know, thin eyelids and no blackout curtains. But then I heard that even with an eye mask, if our skin is exposed to light, we can still be stimulated. So should we be getting blackout curtains?
1: Is that a real thing? Yeah, absolutely. Your skin is just as receptive to light as your eyes are. So for people who are very sensitive to light, blackout curtains are an absolute must. Absolutely. Like it's weird because here in Europe, most of us, we have these roller blinds. It's very different. It's not like a a rouleau, but it's I don't even know how to describe it, but our room is literally pitch, pitch black. And I see it so many times, especially with kids, with babies, that they sleep a lot better if it's pitch, pitch, pitch black. And for adults, it's actually true as well. And some people are really sensitive to light. And even with the eye mask, the skin is still reacting to light. And so an eye mask is not going to cut it for them. But I would always start with an eye mask and see if that makes a difference Then stage two, I would try black bin liners, rubbish plastic bags and tape those to your windows with just like uh, painter's tape just to make sure to, you know, you don't have to invest on the big guns straight away and see whether it makes a difference. And if it does, then you can go ahead and invest into real good quality black blinds
0: part of me wants to get that. And the other part of me is like, well, isn't there a benefit to waking up with the sun? It's like I need curtains that (laughs) at sunrise will automatically draw for me.
1: (laughs) Ideally, yes. But it's winter and summer is going to be different if you live with seasons. So that's already one thing. And secondly, it might not be ideal for you would have to adapt your going to bedtime as well. So you would have to go to bed earlier in summer and later in winter. So unfortunately, because most of us do have a social (laughs) schedule, we can't really use it to our advantage the way it would naturally be ideal.
0: So it could technically work for those of us setting our own schedules if we put sleep above our social lives, The only time I really have blackout curtains is when staying in hotels while traveling. And sometimes I just feel like I wake up groggy. But to be fair, I haven't stayed in a hotel in a while because of Airbnb. And previously when traveling, I was drinking more than I am now. So that makes sense. But speaking of travel, let's talk about jet lag. Any tips to
1: avoid it? So jet lag is basically when your biological clock is confused because we all live with a biological clock, which works in the most basic senses with daylight, nighttime, light, darkness, our hunger, temperature of our body and so forth. And if you are jet lag, you basically, your body clock needs time to adjust. And we can say that for every two time zones, your body needs one hour to adjust. So that's a good trick to have because you can basically prepare for wherever you're traveling, especially if it's a long haul flight. Tips that I always use is to book a flight that arrives during the day. Landing and having daylight on your side is always a big help rather than landing at nighttime. So I would always recommend landing at daytime. Staying very hydrated is a big one. No alcohol, no coffee during the plane ideally it's going to dehydrate you it's going to make it much more difficult to have any energy left what kind of seat you can have if you can go to seatguru.com you can look at the best seats in the plane book that one making sure that you have a sleeping mask and eye earplugs with you absolutely lifesaver so many times yeah there's tons of different things you can do
0: My hands-down best jet lag tip is to not eat on the plane, which is super hard if your flight is long, but the stress of flight actually causes your digestive system to completely shut down. So ever since I stopped eating on flights, I swear it's made the hugest difference. Okay, so something that's always fascinated me is sleepwalking. What causes that? What's
1: even going on? So sleep self working is something that can run in families. And it's basically when you are stuck between two sleep phases. So you are stuck between being awake and being fast asleep. And so that's when you're kind of in limbo land. And that's, you know, when you can start sleep walking, have night terrors are often connected to that too. And that's basically how it manifests. So your body kind of wants to be awake it also wants to be asleep. And so it it just fires different impulses. And that's when sleepwalking can happen. And that's why the easiest thing is actually not to necessarily try to wake people up who are sleepwalking, because you could get them stuck even further, but then to just gently guide them to safety and make sure that everything is proved. You know, if you do have someone who's sleepwalking, it can last a long time. It's been connected to sleep deprivation, actually. So first make sure that they get enough sleep and also make sure that they can't hurt themselves. So having a stair guard and things like that in place.
0: Wow, being stuck between two states of consciousness sounds like the premise of a really interesting horror movie.
1: (laughs) You don't know anything about it. It's the same with night terrors. Night terrors are very different from nightmares. Night terrors often happen in children between the ages of six and eight. And night terrors are a lot worse or they look a lot worse. The kids will just scream their head off. They will talk to you, but they will not be awake. And then usually they fall asleep. And then just after that, they wake up because basically the conflict between their sleep phases has been resolved and they don't remember anything at all. But it looks very bad. (laughs) Let's put it that it looks very scary.
0: Jeez, like is my child possessed?
1: (laughs) Yes, a little bit.
0: (laughs) Okay, so before we finish up, do you have any other sleep hacks that we haven't
1: covered yet? So eye mask is my number one, for sure. Another one is making your bed, which is really weird. But taking that one minute to make your bed in the morning is just going to make it so much more inviting to go to bed in the evening. Also having a little cleanup routine, you know, making sure your bathroom is nice, not having not too bright lights in your bathroom, because if you are sensitive to light, it's the impulse is it's morning, you know. So if the brightest light in your whole house are in your bathroom, then it might be nice to dim them or even to have candlelight and to just really have that process making your body trigger that it's definitely time to go to sleep. And then just enjoying it so much, looking forward to sleeping. And if you aren't sleeping, then talk to me and you'll be looking forward to it again very soon. For
0: listeners who are having trouble sleeping and are interested in learning more about you or working with you,
1: where can they find you online? The easiest thing is to go to sleeplikeaboss.com. And they can find me there. They can shoot me an email at christine at sleeplikeaboss.com. They can just find me on all the regular social media channels. And I've just released a new mini free video series, which they can get. And you go to sleeplikeaboss.com forward slash three steps to sleep. It's pretty cool content. For easy access to all of the links Christine just mentioned, head to our show notes at
0: mindlove.com slash 031. Personally, I didn't realize so much went into a good night's sleep, but I'm already eager to go to bed tonight. Don't forget to head to the show notes for all of those great resources. Again, that's mindlove.com slash 031. And I'm also going to be linking to a pair of blue light blocking glasses that I just bought. They're super cute and they have tons of great styles. It's from a website called ladybossglasses.com. And no, I'm not an affiliate or anything. They're just the cutest blue light blocking glasses I've ever seen. I'll also link to their Instagram because man, these things are cute. I haven't received them in the mail yet, but I will obviously be taking photos for you on MindLove's loves Instagram so you can see what I mean. If this episode was helpful for you, please leave a review on iTunes or a comment on CastBox. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Listeners have been loving it and I've been getting so many great responses from all of you. I want to give a shout out to my listener of the week, Alicia. She sent me the sweetest email after signing up for the Morning Mind Love and getting all of the freebies that come with it. She says, thanks so much for these free resources. They're some of the best I've ever received, especially the Daily Planner. I found you through your podcast and love the variety of topics you cover, signed up for the Morning Mind Love a few weeks ago, and each one has been pure gold. Thank you so, so much, Alicia. It really means a lot to hear from my listeners and to hear how you're using some of the amazing tips from our incredible guests to improve your lives. And last, if I haven't asked too much of you guys already, I've been ramping up my activity on Instagram. So if you're an Instagram lover, follow the podcast at mindlovepodcast or follow me at mindlovemelissa. I've committed to doing at least one Instagram live per week as well as sharing some of my other tips that I'm using to level up my life. I love each and every one of you so much. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.